Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, November 15th, 2022. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine, and with me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. An associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Arizona is decided. The two Trumpy candidates for Senate and for governor have now lost, even as Republicans were reelected to congressional seats, indicating serious ticket splitting or undervoting. We don't really know which as yet. But our theory last week that a surgical strike was being implemented against Trump partisans in the Republican Party by Republicans and independent-leaning voters has now effectively been proved all across the country. Uh, we have uh, Majewski in Michigan uh, losing a Republican seat uh, held by Peter Mayer, who voted for impeachment and then was primaried at Trump's uh, behest. We have uh, Joe Kent losing in Washington State, also a seat held by a Republican in a Trump plus 17 district who voted for impeachment, Jamie Herrera Butler, who, as Noah explained yesterday, in a complicated way, was ousted uh, in a uh, nonpart in a nonpartisan primary by by Joe Kent, who then faced a Democrat who won a seat in this Trump plus 17 district. Um, and on and on. Well, there's more. Uh, can we dwell on Arizona a little bit? Because it has thrown yeah. into stark relief the um, <clears throat> underperformance of Trumpy candidates versus more conventional candidates. David Schweikart uh, won his reelection bid, a very challenging reelection bid, by just about a point uh, in Arizona's first congressional district. And Republicans picked up a seat in Arizona in the second congressional district. A gentleman by the name of Crane, I'm blocking on his first name, and the Treasury race, the very all important race for state treasurer that everybody gets out of bed in the morning on election day to vote for, outperformed the top of the ticket, outperformed Senate, outperformed governor. So yeah, I think you can say Republicans didn't show up. I it, look, <clears throat> this is a very very you know uh, this is not gloating and it's not anything like that. <laughs> the rational normal political system in the united states is working people who uh, who are noxious to voters voters are hold, hold will only hold their noses so long it's almost and, a providential um, outcome right it's, Let, it's let's go delivered let's go, from on high right let's go back in time in arizona because arizona is a state that has this very we talked about this with megan mccain last week it's a very schizophrenic state because it is it is uh three quarters of it is in this one county around you know phoenix and Byron's maricopa uh, which like all urban centers has been trending away from rock ribbed republicanism i wouldn't you know maricopa county is still largely republic it's not like carrie lake you know got 10 percent of the vote in maricopa county i mean <clears throat> that's that's not how it works um but the arizona republican party going back from around the time that Trump emerged went uh crazy I mean I it went crazy uh it had a sitting senator in Jeff Flake who his his own party effectively ran out of office before even before vote like he couldn't run for re-election Trump targeted him personally um but Jeff Flake was a popular politician in Arizona couldn't you know, couldn't go on like he, he just couldn't go on. The party ends up censuring John McCain. It ends up censuring Cindy McCain, a private citizen. It is taken over by somebody named uh, Kelly Ward, whom you may have read about yesterday. The Supreme Court let stand a um, an appeals court uh decision that said that the January 6th committee was allowed to look at the metadata of her phone calls because she refused to cooperate with the committee. Um, and the Supreme court let that stand seven to two uh, Robertson Alito uh, 
essentially said they would have allowed her, they would have said that it was an infringement on her constitutional rights had it gone further. And there, th- this is an interesting question. I don't really haven't looked that far into it. But basically, the Arizona Republican Party not only tacked hard right, but it tacked vindictive hard right. It tacked, so, if you don't think this way, we're going to take a giant you know, uh, mallet and smash you in the head with it, right? And this is now the result. The result is Masters. The result is Carrie Lake. The result is uh, humiliation and the loss of the Senate, uh, the Senate of the United States. And uh, congratulations to all Arizona Republicans. So why not gloat? I think this is an opportunity to gloat. <laughs> I mean, I'm Arizona, essentially gloating. I'm essentially yeah, I mean, gloating. The, the, the state distilled Trumpism down to its nastiest, ugliest form. And and this is this is exactly the, so the, the country co- pr- produced an antibody right. of sorts. Right. But not the state. That's the point. Well, right. The, the, if the, the, the every party. natural Republican had turned out for Kerry Lake and Blake Masters. They would have won. Yeah, I, I mean, we. We should. That's what the House races and the Treasurer's race indicate. This is also the state that's going to send Paul Gozer back to the House. That's ran right. uncontested. I mean, there's still plenty of lunatics, just yeah. certifiable menaces yeah. that are going to be sent to Congress as a result yeah. of Republican voting in Arizona. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, it's not the state. It is a faction within a faction in the state that uh, entered this disease into its own ecosystem and has now, you know, the antibody is within the Republican Party or within, let's say, the Republican coalition, because it's obviously independent voters also, so they're not in the party. The antibody isn't just in the state. It's in the system. It's like, you know, um, let's say Trump is like cake, Right. Um, and you're you're like a hard right Republican in Arizona and Trump comes along and it's like the greatest dessert. Just say you love the sheet cake from Costco. So you get the sheet cake for 50 people at your party and you love the sheet cake from Costco. And what you have, it's like a Twilight Zone episode, is the sheet cake never uh, you never end on the sheet cake. The sheet cake is self-reproducing, so you keep eating it, and then it keeps replacing itself, and you keep eating it, and it keeps replacing itself, and then you get diabetes, and then you die. That's my, it's like, it's too much winning. Even our Trump sugar people. metaphors end in morosity, I just want to point out. Yes, That's I right. know, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I'm saying, like, for them, Trump was the, you know, the the second coming uh, everything they ever wanted in a politician, everything they ever loved about talk radio, everything they ever loved about owning the libs, and they and they indulged themselves in it without let up. And now they have destroyed themselves. They have their candidates lose. Uh, I don't know how the reckoning is going to happen. Carrie Lake is obviously going to say that the election was stolen. I mean, she already said the election was stolen from her. There's a, such a weird thing that's happening on the, on the democratic side too, <clears throat> where Katie Hobbs ran as close as you can get to a generic democratic campaign. She's just, her trajectory, the trajectory of her campaign was announced for governor, say nothing further and win. Right. Now what we're privy to in the pages of the New York times, for example, is how can Democrats be more like John Fetterman? It's First of all, I recommend is yeah. having no neurological incidents. Seems like kind of a sweet generous uh, candidacy there, but they're like, no, you got to run as this this guy. This guy really nailed it. No, Katie Hobbs really nailed it. If you're going to well, run Katie in a Hobbs, bad year, yeah. run as a generic Democrat. Don't do any interviews. Don't do any debates. Just keep your head down and let the other person implode. So this is the story in New York State in reverse, right? Kathy Hochul tried to run as the generic Democrat in a state in which being the generic Democrat was supposed to essentially be a glide path into, you know, it's a predecessor one by 23, Hillary Clinton one by 22, Biden one by 24. She should have just slid in. Um, What she ended up with was an issue set that worked really badly against her, right? The rise in crime, which if you're running as a generic Democrat, 
you're like, I'm not talking about anything. That's what it means. You're just supposed to vote for me because there's a D after my name and a candidate who was pretty good. So she loses 18 points or 20 points off every Democrat who ran over the last, you know, cycles, right? Hillary, Biden, and Cuomo. But it is just enough for her to win. But it's not enough for Democrats to retain control of the House. Because of her collapse and her inability to run a race, four Republicans, uh, or five Republicans, I think now, were elected to the House in New York State, and uh, that is the margin of of, uh, of House control that it appears Republicans well, are going to have one or two seats uh, in the majority. Well, we'll have two clarifying things that happen, one tonight and one throughout this week. The first, uh, whether or not Carrie Lake will concede. You know, she tweeted out, I think last night, oh, Arizonans know when they see BS. If she doesn't concede the election and whatever justification she uh, marshals to not concede the election, she will actually be a holdout. All the other, you know, stop the steal candidates who lost conceded pretty quickly. Um, so she'll be sort of a reminder to the electorate, not just in Arizona, but in the country, since she since the media will make sure her national profile continues in this regard. She'll be a reminder that there are still these kinds of Republicans. And then tonight at 9 p.m. at Mar-a-Lago, Trump's going to make his big announcement. So that we're, we're going to be back into that dynamic again, but it'll be a very different shift. And we talked about this a bit yesterday, but how the party, which is currently imploding, the Republican Party, how they're going to deal with all this churn in the next few weeks is going to be really crucial, not just the leadership race in the House, not just how McConnell is handled in the Senate, how the party starts to talk about itself again. And we're seeing hints here and there, but whether they can come together there, I think there's interesting arguments on either side about whether or not the, the party is really ready to let go of its grip on Trump and vice versa. We know he's not, say, but, on the yeah. on the question of cheating. Um, not not the question of cheating on the matter of claiming cheating um, on social media, whole slew of the type of people who you would expect to um, talk about election and election hoax um, to explain the multiple losses. In fact, people who did uh, in the past, that is not what they're going on about this time around. They are saying maybe don't blame Trump. They are saying uh, it's it's about the Democratic uh, Democrats ground game and and it's sort of Republican logistical failure. They're not really saying uh, uh, cheating, which is something. Have you seen any traction from Carrie Lake's effort to incept this narrative? She's trying. She is trying, but no. I mean, it's too early. It's too early to say. And it's a rationalization. The question is, is a time to wrap your head around. I mean, they yeah, had it, some ballot issue, like they had some technical, you know, challenges like every election has. But she it, for her to try to turn that into a narrative of, but, a, of a stolen election is going to be a know, challenge. One of the things that is so maddening about the way about the about the the the, the steel narrative is that uh, the stealers adduce from the long count that things are being stolen. But the long count is it was in part introduced by them and people like them to make sure that the ballots aren't fraudulent. So there is all this effort to ensure that the ballots are fraudulent. And that is the nature of this lengthy process, like particularly in Nevada, for example. So you can look at that and say, well, they're obviously stealing the election. But, uh, you know, if you didn't... Uh, take this suicidal position that it's bad to vote early. Uh, that seems to be the main takeaway from non-psychotic Trump people is, oops, you know, this whole thing about how no one should vote early and shouldn't vote by mail, I guess we better rethink that because, you know, totally and in a totally unprincipled manner, the Democratic Party used absolutely legal means to get out the vote that we didn't use because we're insane. So maybe we should stop being insane. They can't say it that way, but that is essentially what it's like. What did we do here? Are we nuts? Like, why is there Black Friday after Thanksgiving? There's Black Friday after Thanksgiving on the grounds that if you know someone is going to come out to buy Christmas presents and you want them to buy Christmas presents at your store uh, 
and other people are going to be offering Christmas presents with weird toy discounts and stuff on the day after Thanksgiving. You have to also, otherwise they may go to the other store and buy the presents and that other store will then have more money than you and then they will do better at Thanksgiving at Christmas than you will. As opposed to saying, I am a principled person. No one should shop for Christmas until three days before Christmas, until until Christmas Eve. That's when, and it's not fair if anybody does otherwise. Whole purpose of politics, practical get out the vote politics, is to neutralize any advantages that the other side has. It's not just to prevail, but you also have to play the game so that they can't. So that if they have some trick that they use, like like uh, ballot vote harvesting in California in 2018, you, they don't do it to you again in 2020. You then go vote harvest yourself and do the same thing, and then it go. It's a net to zero. That is how politics. That is how you play any game. And for some reason, they thought that it wasn't you know it didn't apply to them, or they were standing up for principle about when your vote is cast. I mean, look, I would prefer for civic reasons that there were an election day and that everybody voted on election day. I'm not even sure that it's logistically possible anymore with the electorate the size that it now is. The electorate in the United States is now 100 to 150 million people at any given moment. When you hear about how other countries count their votes and so it's so fast and all of that, they are dealing with a much, I mean, just as a simple matter of gigantic uh, you know, uh, just and and every ballot in every county in the United States can be a little different from every ballot in every other county. And this is this is a this is sort of a key point. Like in New York State, there are, I don't know what there are 66, 67 counties. You know, New York had ballot initiatives, the city that aren't elsewhere and with judges and different places and all of that. You know, we don't have one national ballot that you could feed into a machine and count. So it really may be that we can't really have an election day anymore, that we hit some kind of critical mass that makes it impossible. I still think it would be better civically, but maybe that's a fantasy. And it's certainly a fantasy because we're not removing the right to vote early or the right to vote by mail. We're, it's not going to happen. Um. Anyway, so that's a that's a I but. Just to get back to Carrie Lake and stealing and all of that. Um, it's like, you know what? You can play that game with Trump at a national level and get people fixated on it. But nobody gives a crap about Carrie Lake. Uh, but Trump has just tweeted has tweeted out his support. Wow, it's really bad out there. They they took the election. So he's now endorsing. This is now going to now it's national because he's, yeah. you know, and he. Obviously yeah, but, yeah, but it's still a bank shot. It's not him. Sure. He's like, you know, of course they stole it from somebody I, I endorsed. Nobody gives a crap about Carrie Lake. You know, Josh Hammer, that moron at Newsweek, who is a Shonda to the Jewish people, he is like, oh, it's so terrible. Carrie Lake and Blake Masters were such wonderful candidates. Like, you know what? <clears throat> go back and practice. Go hang a shingle on a second story in Boca Raton and do real estate, do, do real estate law and like do escrow. Well, she wasn't a terrible candidate, let's be honest. She was. She had moments of, of brilliance on the on the yeah. uh, on the campaign trail. Just I'm as sorry, a mechanical matter. Blake not... Masters was yeah. a terrible candidate. Blake yeah, Masters he only had ran a lot four of people points behind her. Yeah, but he only ran six points behind every other Republican in the state. The state I now know. has six out of nine congressional districts that are occupied by Republicans. A lot of people who want to see an ideological transformation of the right imposed on Blake Masters' competency. He never evinced himself. They wanted to see this this party become more isolationist, more protectionist, more aggressive culturally. And this was their avatar for it. And he was terrible. He has a very high opinion of himself, which He's is like, entirely unearned. I have a low opinion of Carrie Lake as a candidate. I'm sorry. I don't agree that she was brilliant. I think she seemed I didn't like say brilliant. No, brilliant. She had moments yeah. of, she had of moments true effervescence on this trail, which she, can't be taught. She should have won and she lost. And she lost because of herself, and I'm not giving her any credit. I'm sorry. She had Steve Bannon campaigning with her, a convicted felon, campaigning with her the day before she ran for office. Just to, just by the way, to make sure that everybody understood that she was a psycho. 
No, like, she's in terrible. case you were like, you know what? I better. No, she's terrible. I, but I mean, in terms of her appeal to the average, you know, uh, more right leaning voter, you can see like she she was better than some of the other. No, better I'm, I'm going to and others in terms of her appeal. In like, tactical she, terms, I, I'm, I'm sorry. She had I no think you have to give her to credit me. for her abortion answer. No, she has for no her appeal to me either. Yeah. I'm she going to appeal to me. Can I offend everyone? I am the reg- Wait, wants I am, to offend I am, us. I am just average Joe. I am the, I am the You are I not average just, Joe. <laughs> I am I am just like an ordinary suburban voter in Scottsdale. That's me. I, I so I under Okay, go ahead. Dave. Here's my offensive analysis. If she weren't good looking, no one would say she was brilliant or a professor. <laughs> no, that's totally true. I'm completely I completely agree with that. No, well, there's that's a right. there's a that's ton right. of that. A ton of that. There's that's probably explains the whole reason why Republicans decided to campaign along Tulsi Gabbard. It's not like yeah. Republicans are salivating. Oh, if a for woman Pearl looked Assad like John content. Fetterman, she would never go anywhere. I mean, yeah, let's be no, honest. There's there's a lot to to be said for that, and it's hard to say just because it's hard to say. But I think well, you're you absolutely could, right. Mean, that when I mean, Republicans get winked at by a pretty girl, they just collapse. That is, look, you know, Republicans are, you know, are not are not uh, woke. So yeah, um, wasn't enough for Tudor Dixon, who was pretty good looking, but Gretchen Whitmer is also pretty. So again, you neutralize Gretchen Whitmer's advantage. No, there's something to be said for that in Trump too. Honestly, what good looking? No, the extent to which his his model wife is appeal actually registers something to that from Ron DeSantis as well. I've heard this before. Hot wife. Mm-hmm. For real, people talk about this, and it, it behooves us to actually well, acknowledge Oba- that they're I'm saying sorry, this. I'm sorry, Michelle loud. Obama. Michelle Obama is a spectacularly beautiful woman. You think that's not helpful to his his general image? I mean, of yeah, course there's it a general is. job requirement for the of women in that role. <laughs> you know, just like I mean, there is a one interesting slam on DeSantis's chances as a presidential candidate. He's kind of short. Every president we've had since, I don't know when, since Reagan, has been over six feet. He's like five, nine and a half. That is he is left-handed? Not... We have a lot of left-handed. I know. I don't, As a I left-hander, don't, I, don't I approve answer, of that. But, but it's the one thing that gives me pause. Like, who ran against <laughs> George H.W. Bush? If this country comes down got, to who got... has the hotter wife and who's... Tall enough, we I'm are sorry. Michael screwed. Dukakis was a shrimp. He got into that tank with the helmet, and that was the end of him. That was the end of him because he, like, he looked like culture, Marvin the Martian. He you know, did. he looked like Marvin the Martian. Like, if he had been taller, he would have looked better in the tank with the helmet. Anyway, not to we've brought this conversation to a very low level. I'm well, sorry no, but by the way, uh, Trump's going to pick up on that with DeSantis, obviously. Sure. I mean, he's short. The yeah. Short. OK, yeah. I mean, you right. already used little Marco, so it'll be something else. Well, but, he'll I mean, do the true. Hillary thing where he like tries to contrast their height mm-hmm. by like stalking him across the primary debate stage. The stature. Yes. Yeah, anyway, stature. look, we brought this to a very, <laughs> very low point, And that's why I want to talk to you about a podcast that brings you to a high point. There's news and information constantly coming at us from all sides. With this barrage of information, it's difficult to stay up to speed with everything that's happening in the world. Whom can you trust to explain what's going on from a perspective that values both faith and freedom? That's where Acton Unwind comes in, just as there's no other organization that brings you a perspective that values faith, liberty, and free enterprise like the Acton Institute. There's no other podcast that tackles the issues of the day in quite the same way as Acton Unwind. Every Monday, you'll hear from host Eric Cohn and experts from the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty as they take you through the news of the week in a roundtable conversation, breaking down the issues and the stories that matter and demonstrating that the compatibility of faith, liberty, and free economic activity in a way that's clear, concise, and entertaining. Whether it's about politics, religion, or culture, you'll get Acton's unique outlook on the world, connecting good intentions with sound economics as we promote a free and virtuous society characterized by individual liberty and sustained by religious principles. To subscribe to Acton Unwind, visit acton.org commentary or just search Acton Unwind on your favorite podcast app. Acton Unwind, an ongoing conversation on a free and virtuous society. That's acton.org slash commentary to subscribe to the Acton Unwind podcast. 
Trump tonight, 9 p.m. I got to tell you a story I heard. Uh, I'm not going to say who it is. Person in sort of a uh, person well known as a friend of Trump's. Uh, but uh, disaffected by his presidency, but not publicly. Uh, says he hadn't talked to him in a couple of years. Was asked, have you been invited to Mar-a-Lago on, on Tuesday night for the speech? And he said, about eight times. I've gotten eight emails. I'm not, I'm not answering. Uh, the person I'm talking about is a you know is a sort of uh, moneyed person, uh, person with a reputation known in the world, um, but not like an, someone you would think. Well, he's got to be there at Mar-a-Lago if Trump is to show any strength whatsoever. So they are digging for people to be on that stage, and that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see Trump with some crew behind him of people and the thing that we have to guard against uh as observers is poo-pooing who he has because again with his animal cunning he could be hitting figures and people and cultural types that uh we have contempt for or look down on kanye <laughs> I was going to say, even Ivanka sounds like the rumors are true. Ivanka and Jared have been like, perhaps might not be on stage. Which, right. But yeah. I'm saying it could be, you know, like Ted Nugent. Everybody messed. Yeah. The wrestling and, guy. You Remember know, everybody and, made and, fun and of the wrestling country guys. music, country music yeah. stars and a few figures in sport. I don't know who Phil Mickelson. I mean, there are various people who might be on stage that we would be inclined to make fun of because they're not hip, they're not cool, and all of that. It's like Yellowstone. It's like, it's not hip, it's not cool, but it gets 14 million viewers. And this he knows. This he has a weird feel for. Um, I mean, it's not good to be, like, aggressively anti-hip. Like, you don't want, ha you don't want Scott Bayo as like your major person that's standing and Christy Swanson as those people. But if you get enough, anyway, that's, I think, culturally what to he look actually needs for. Bob Abla, which is the role that, that uh, Bayo played on Arrested Development, the kind of scheming that's right. lawyer. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, if he could reunite, you know, Joni and Chachi, I mean, if there was some kind of like weird <laughs> thing where some cultural event happens, like Dean and Jerry getting back together again for, you know, some, but, but anyway, we, but we're well, hearing that he's trying to, he's going to try to appear serious, like that. These are serious times. We no, have that to... would be a, such a mistake. John's absolutely right. His, yeah. his appeal and the entire appeal of the Trump movement is in its celebrity. Again, Republicans like to be winked at by pretty girls. Republicans like to have their own celebrities. It is just in a, a crippling insecurity. But, and if he but, appeals to their absolute insecurity, then he actually has a lane. But yeah, if he's serious and sober, that's not his appeal. Except remember that fantastic ad he ran? That's what I was thinking of. Yes. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was a great ad. That was you before the, the Mar-a-Lago uh, raid and it kind of disappeared. Yeah, because... about Biden's America. And I feel yeah. about that ad like you guys feel about Carrie Lake. OK, fair enough. He's running down but, America and I'm sick of it. Here's what I want to say about Trump. Hate him, love him. You hate him. And you're like, you still talk about him. The thing is, he has injected a note of disreputable fun into American politics, a different kind of fun. It's like, he's fun to talk about, even if you hate him and you wish he would go away. You know, you can't stop talking about him. And so he can't just, yeah, be serious Trump. He can't be the today was the day that Trump became president because he gave a talk from the Oval Office about the strike that he did in Syria, you know, like that. I mean, nobody wants that. Not even his enemies want that. They want to hate him. They want a two minute hate. They want they want a thing that his people will love that will make them hate him more. And he has to. He doesn't have to. He'll do whatever he does. But I mean, he will, I would suspect, play into that. He's got to have the own the libs magic, and he's got to create tonight a counter narrative for last week. This is the he's got to say, without me, you died. And uh, in 2020, they stole the election, and this time they won fair and square. You need me next time to make sure that they can't 
take take it away or something. I look, I don't know. I think he's got a very bad. Yeah, he's got to say that here. we won fair. They won fair and square. I mean, without him, constitutionally incapable. Without but. him, he wasn't at the top of the ticket, so they lost. That's what he will say. I don't know. Maybe he won't. I have no idea what he'll say. Guy's a lunatic and he's a maniac and he has either he has this animal cunning feel for the American electorate that he had and therefore will come up with something that will change trajectories here because uh, his trajectory is downward. We have the again, we're back to the polling, right? One poll that had DeSantis in the lead nationally and then one poll in texas where desantis is now in the lead and six weeks ago trump was up in the same poll of texas republican voters by 23 and it could be a flavor of the week it can be evanescent all of this stuff can go away but we now have two data points we need 10 or 12 data points to say oh man he is in trouble that people are willing to turn the page but they could be coming, so he's got to do something to interfere with that, I would think. Well, they are know. doing it. I mean, the pro-Trump forces, I wrote about this yesterday for the blog, pro-Trump forces have their shoes on. They are consolidating their flanks. They're consolidating their position. They're acting like they're running from behind. And the anti-Trump right has sort of assumed, not they're not saying it out loud, but you can sense it in the air, a sense of their own historical inevitability. Okay, we've seen that dynamic play out before, and it produces predictable outcomes. Okay, I want to talk to you guys about Rich Lowry's column today, because Rich makes a point that he doesn't really extend out. But he's like, look, we already know the party doesn't matter. Trump blew up the party decides line, at least for the Republican Party in 2016. Even if the, the structures and the institutional supports and all of that of the Republican Party could not stop him from getting the nomination even though they tried or they tried to push him to the side or whatever. Uh, Democratic Party kind of different because Biden really was kind of the party decides candidate. Nonetheless, uh, Trump blew this up. Um, so it doesn't matter what, you know, whether senators and congressmen come out and say we don't like Trump. It doesn't matter if the RNC somehow is removed from Trump's control and becomes more of a a generalist Republican organization looking to move forward. What matters is the voters. What matters is the voters, they will be the ones to make the decision. But this also works in reverse, which is the Trump forces don't matter. If the party doesn't decide anymore and Trump is the party or a lot of the party apparatus in a lot of places, they can't save him. They're not going to be able to save him from a Republican electorate that looks at what happened on Tuesday and then thinks about what it wants in 2024 and says, Ah, uh, turn the page. Well, I mean, he's become not to get deep into our uh, old pop culture references, but it's like what Madonna is doing on Instagram now. Right. Like there's something ghoulish about like so a woman her age is constantly taking off her clothes and like doing weird like it's horrifying. And there's there's an aspect to the kind of aging Trump doing his Trump show where you're like, it's just not working for me. It's also it's a rerun like it's a rerun. But they've cast the guy as his current age as if he's the older age. I mean, he's also look, he is going to be older when he runs this question of age and biden which i think is totally legitimate should also apply he'll be what 76 he's he's not going to be a young guy okay let's hear from our next sponsor do you know only one in three americans believes we can fully exercise our free speech rights that's why fire is stepping up to protect freedom of expression for all americans no matter where you're from or what you believe the foundation for individual rights and expression or fire Knows free speech makes free people. FIRE will always be a principled, nonpartisan, nonprofit defender of your rights. Join the fight for free speech at www.thefire.org. We're still talking about him, though. We're talking about Trump. Well, here, let's not succumb to a failure of imagination here. Nobody's making any predictions because that's a fool's errand. But it's not hard to foresee how the snapback happens. Congressional Republicans and Republicans will have a House majority will be dominated, apparently, by very Trumpy Republicans. House leadership races right now are all the extent to which the Trump Republican wing is represented in leadership. Committee chairs, very prominent members, people who are otherwise backbenchers, your Marjorie Taylor Greens, your Matt Gates, what have you, will be all over television. And the cable news nets will likely lean into whatever narratives they want to produce. And if you're going against the House leadership, 
on whatever the issue of the day is, you're going against Trump. And if that's what Fox primetime says, that's what the Republican primary base will believe. And then we've got a year before anybody votes, more than a year before anybody votes in Iowa. And I don't care what the polls say today. If you're banging this drum for a year and a half, the Republican leader elected the Republican primary electorate, especially in the nor in the north and the northeast and in the uh, plain states and the Midwest, that's going to be Trump's base, and it's going to be a dogfight. I look. You could be right. You could also be like it is not normal. I could be wrong. I'm just. I just saying, foresee like, an outcome that that right. everybody's discounting now because. This Marjorie Marxian sense Taylor. of inevitability has descended on the anti-Trump right, and it's not. See, but you know, there's also I, I, there's no there's, Marxian sense of inevitability. I, I who 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 are you seeing a Marxian sense? Of, it's like maybe they're going to turn the page here. We're but I don't see any Marxian sense of inevitability whatsoever that Trump is is through. All I'm seeing is ginger efforts to explore whether or not you know whether or not. Sleeping Beauty can wake up in you know instead of like being in the glass coffin. But if 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 the media and uh, the Democratic Party if they continue from now until twenty twenty four to make Trump enemy number one, they're going to help him a lot. Um, because whoever their main enemy is is going to be the, the person that that Republicans are going to start to coalesce around. Right. Well, if, think, they make, if they yeah. make it DeSantis, it'll help DeSantis. Right. But, but there's see, also think about one, oh, one other thing is that we also if DeSantis isn't going to be the only person if he does throw his hat in the ring who will throw his hat in the ring. And you've got the risk of people like Yunkin or, or um, you know, other more moderate Pompeo. Republican Pompeo. Um, uh, yeah. All these guys will split that the anti-Trump wing vote, right? They'll be competing for the same voters, all of whom are needed to take down Trump in a primary, uh, theoretically. Right. Well, look at it this way. We, you know, everybody was talking, and Noah said, like, the unbelievable return on investment from the boosting of the <clears throat> MAGA candidates everywhere. <sighs> That's what the media are, right? I mean, if the media you know, focus their attention on Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates to an even greater extent that they have already, elevate them above, like AOC, but elevate them above, uh, you know, McCarthy and McConnell or whoever, and like, you know, focus on them, uh, they not only will create this, you know, inevitability narrative on the Republican side, but they will... um scare moderates and independents they will just scare the crap out of it's a very solid return on investment to follow that strategy it's worked for i mean it didn't work for a long time they constantly tried to do it and republicans still prevailed but trump kind of tipped it in the other direction because you can't say that they're outliers i mean I, I am struck by the fact that no one mentioned this uh as far as i could tell uh tucker carlson you know, who is an increasingly maligned presence in American politics, and I am partially responsible for the making of his career, so I apologize. Tucker, on his Fox Nation show, had a rehabilitation hour with Steve King. You know, if you remember Steve King, he was the anti-Semitic congressman from... Despicable, yeah. Despicable, anti-Semitic racist congressman from Iowa that the party kind of vomited out. He was... First, he was taken off committees, then the, then the party establishment targeted him for defeat in a Trumpish fashion by having another Republican win a primary against him in Iowa. Tucker had him on to talk about the, you know, his martyrdom and, you know, de profundis and all of that. And so, you know, uh, maybe Steve King was also last seen signing this open letter by heritage, uh, the heritage uh, foundation calling for a delay in, in leadership elections and the delay in leadership elections is designed, as I said before, to elevate Trump factions within the party. They're they're behind. They're on their heels. They know what they're consolidating all their all their power and they're bringing all their forces to bear, even the ones that are really gross. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Let me let me just uh, again, pull back again, because I want to talk to you about another podcast. You've heard me talk about it before. Two great episodes and one really landmark episode on Dan Senor's Call Me Back podcast. Subscribe to it wherever you can if you haven't subscribed already. And if you have subscribed, make sure you listen to both of these. 
The first one, which is just a fantastic conversation with one of the great talkers in America, is Dan with his old friend and old political colleague, Mike Murphy, uh, you know, sort of going through the results of the of the 2022 elections and what happened and how they work. And it is Murphy is just like the most entrancing person you've ever sat next to in a bar. He's an amazing uh, raconteur. And he says more words in one 15 second period than even Ben Shapiro can. So uh, it's just great fun to listen to him. So that's the, that's the Mike Murphy podcast with Dan Senor. That is, but Dan interviewed Bibi Netanyahu. It's an interview that uh, took place uh, over zoom uh, at a, at a venue in, in New York. And it is now his current podcast tied to the release of Bibi's book, my story. Um, and uh, it's eye-opening because I think particularly people who are worried about the results of the Israeli elections, if you are worried about the results and you're worried about Israel's democracy and the religious this and that, uh, you really need to listen to this conversation because uh, because Netanyahu uh, takes account of the feelings, takes account of the arguments, makes the case for Israel as the vibrant democracy in the Middle East that it is and why why these concerns and fears are overstated and where things may be going in the future, particularly in relation to the Abraham Accords. It is an, an it is a fantastic news breaking conversation. Go listen to it. Dan Senor, call me back with BB Netanyahu. Subscribe Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your fine podcasts. Uh, do we have anything else to do? We, we talked about Sam Bankman Free yesterday, and none of us is like, as far as I can tell, none of us is even remotely equipped to talk about the future of cryptocurrency and the this, uh, you know, what about block? Maybe no, but he, we can dust. talk about how the kid gloves with which the New York Times is treating this story. And you certainly would, I mean, in part, I think because of his ties to the Democratic Party, they're not really, they don't even want to use the word fraud very much to describe what this, what this yeah. guy had done. So I'm, I'm watching that story. I'm watching the coverage of his, yes. of his downfall. Well, he interview. called them, like they actually got an interview with him mm -hmm. and he said, you know, I'm sleeping pretty well, which is okay, great. <laughs> now, so, nice for you and the people so you bankrupted. You just, why don't you just make it clear how psychotic you are by actually telling people after having basically blown up, you know, a, potentially blown up a trillion dollars worth of value um, uh, on the planet Earth, that you know this is not disturbing you enough to to. But as, as, as several people have pointed out, he is the best advertisement for humanity, the need for humanities education, because he once boasted in an interview that he thinks books are useless. So, like reading, who reads? What? Why yeah. do you need? Why do you need to read? So, yes, yeah. children of the world, read. <laughs> reading is good. <laughs> yeah. Also, like get your hair cut and wear like wear regular clothing. It's a nut. Look, between Zuckerberg firing fourteen thousand people. And, you know, uh, Musk with his weirdness and uh, Elizabeth Holmes and all of this. It is time to return to standard issue, anonymous, bland business clothing for our titans of industry. Uh, their, their, their outfitting of themselves is now going to be a lie. I'm serious. There's, this is going to be a liability now. Like someone's going to show up in his millennial Gen X, Gen Z garb. And people are going to go get out of my office. No, I no, Gen X doesn't dress like not that. Not Gen X. We I'm sorry. Gen <laughs> Z, millennial, whatever. Get out of my office. I smell a trillion dollars in losses here. <laughs> there's there's something interesting to the total psychotic break that's happening in, in Silicon Valley. And I'm not equipped to, to discuss it. It's outside my wheelhouse. But I will say it was only like 18 months ago that the Republican Party convinced itself that the market didn't work anymore, that all these products that Silicon Valley was producing had created monopolies, not natural monop monopolies, and that they needed to be broken up. State power had to be wielded in order to break up these uh, anti-competitive businesses. And it didn't. It didn't. The market moved. They blew themselves up. All these competing forces combined to dramatically undermine the power that we were told not months ago 
was incontestable. Well, I will push back a little bit on that. I do think when it comes to Google, for example, they've just had to pay a multi-hundred billion dollar settlement to several states for for illegally tracking people after they've turned off tracking. I mean, we do need some regulatory oversight still of these of these companies. And I would I I think the verdict is still out on Meta slash Facebook and and Google in terms of their market share for advertising. Like there's definitely some I, I I'm not super, super big fan of the way antitrust is done in this country, but it doesn't, I don't think the verdict is completely in on those companies yet, but I agree that there have been serious market shifts and it, and Amazon has just announced a bunch of layoffs too. I mean, there's, it's, it's tough industry now. And, and, and Elon Musk took away the, the free okay. meals at Twitter. I so. want to actually, I want to talk about the layoffs because this is one final point to make, I guess, which is uh, this is, there's this whole conversation about what's going to happen in 2023 with the economy and you shouldn't bet against the American economy and maybe the measures being taken by the Fed to deal with inflation are working since inflation is slowing down and maybe it's the, whatever the structural overhang and the, the uh, from the uh, incredible disruption of 2020 is working its way through the system and we are coming out the other side. But the behavior of some of these companies which is recession prep. You have to look at Amazon's, uh, this announcement of these massive layoffs at Amazon and at Facebook. Uh, Facebook's about advertising, which uh, everyone is now predicting is going to crater in advance of economic woes in 2023. So they are just, they are being efficient in clearing the decks and trying to sort of prune the excess that they can afford now so that they're not sitting there with it, you know, when when the money really stops flowing in the way that it did before. Um, this is the worst sign yet that we are heading for real trouble in 2023. When a when a vibrant when a vibrant sector of the economy, right? Amazon is uh, is a is a vibrant company. Facebook, Meta. I don't, I'm going to call it Facebook. I'm not calling it Meta because they're going to go back to Facebook. Watch. Watch that they are going to return to the name Facebook because they re they misbranded them. They made a huge mistake in rebranding. But these are vibrant companies, and they are saying we have to batten down the hatches because uh, you know the storm is coming, and uh, and that's you know that also just introduces an interesting note of political uncertainty altogether. Like we thought that the economy now would hurt, you know, Biden and the Democrats. It did a little, but it also, but it didn't enough to overwhelm the misgivings about Republicans and Trump and whatever it was that led people to vote against the Republicans this time. I don't know. I mean, Biden will have been president for more than two years when, if this, if this serious recession hits, not the kind of weird recession that we had this year, you know, which we had low unemployment and a, and a recession. Well, and, and. Um, and he's not again, this goes to this question of will they will the Democrats learn any lessons from this election? Um, and it, there's they're floating again, extending the student loan repayment uh, moratorium, covid based, the emergency, um, because they got you know smacked down in court for their uh, student loan forgiveness plan or debt transfer plan, as I prefer to call it. So we'll see there. there I think we're going to see some inklings of, you know, between the Elizabeth Warren up at oh, we have to spend more, we have to spend more. It's not clear they're going to learn the right economic lesson from this election that they desperately needed to in terms of, you know, controlling inflation and returning to stability. Look, ultimately, is an issue set. What you're looking at is a circumstance in which a politician who can talk about issues and and provide conservative responses to liberal economic choices that will say we can get out of this trouble and get ourselves back on the right track. That's not Trump, obviously. Trump is owning the libs. You're going to have real meat on your bones here in a way that you don't with inflation because nobody knows how to solve inflation. So you're saying, vote for me because they made inflation, but you got nothing to say about how, because the, the dealing with inflation is either not doing ridiculously expensive legislation, okay, that's fine, but any Republican would count for that, and and the Fed. So that's out of the politicians' hands. But reorienting the American economy in the middle of a recession, you know, as a result of a recession to growth policies 
and things that will actually expand the economy rather than regulate it into and and you know use government as the as the lever. I mean, that's fertile field for 2024. It just won't be fertile field if the people who led the party down this road to rack and ruin remain in can you know can keep their hands on the reins or their or their hands on the tiller. All right. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say it's also that's a good message and one that's desperately uh, a lot of non-college educated voters want to hear. And I think in 2016, when Trump spoke to some of their existential concerns, he didn't deliver on their economic ones. And and I mean, part of that's the pandemic, too. But the Democrats don't really have much to say to those folks either, except we'll just throw more money at your problem. They don't have an economic message about opportunity and small business ownership and all the things you're talking about, which is, I think, in part why you saw you're seeing in certain parts of the country, the Hispanic voter move closer to the Republican candidates in many cases, because there is an optimistic, forward-looking message, um, a hopeful message, and and Trump is never going to deliver that. I mean, one way of looking at it is that Republicans are now going, potentially will be in the position to say, they said, we're coming to help you. And how is that working out for you? Our line is we want to make sure that you can help yourself and we are going to get out of your way. We're not going to do things that are going to make products more expensive. We're not going to make it harder for you to run a small business or to work at a business through regulation. We want to get out of your way. They had their chance over the last years to help you in the way that they think you wanted help. And they're paying off student loans for rich kids. Like basically like that's what they're doing. (laughs) Yeah. How do you like the help? Because if you want that kind of help, you know, you just don't change horses. But if you want something else, I'm right here. But again, that is not the Trump message. That cannot be the Trump message. His message is I alone can fix, which is not a, which was never a Republican message. It's not a conservative message. It's the opposite of a conservative message. You know, that's not the way it works. And that's where he'll go. All right. We got to run. See you tomorrow. For Abe, Christina, Noam, John Podhoritz, keep the candle burning.